0: The investigators believe he murdered
1: her. They just can't prove it. It's my first initial call to the private investigator working on my dad's case. My wife jumps up from the table and says, oh my god, who is this man coming in the backyard? I divorced him because I couldn't trust him at all. He lied to me at the very beginning. He was living two separate lives.
0: in the water about 35 yards away and identified it as it was a person.
2: You are currently listening to season two of Ashes to Ash TV, What Happened to Carolyn Blankenfeld? Episode 13, The Dance. We sit down with Ray, Chris's old employee.
0: There was a, a young lady that, again, Carolyn's big heart, took someone in that didn't have a place to live for two weeks. Okay. She, Carolyn actually told this girl, and this was about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, that if anything ever happened to her, that Chris did it. Make sure you go to the police with this information.
2: Wow. And, and she told you this just at some other point, this young lady? Yes. She told you it after Carolyn had passed. Or did she tell you it before? No, she
0: told me after Carolyn had passed and she actually told me before too. Oh,
2: okay. Okay. She was like, basically like, remember I said that. Right. Mm -hmm. Did you, do you know if she ever went to the cops or you don't know? No,
0: I know she didn't.
2: Do you think there's a reason? Do you think she was scared or? Yes. So we've obviously been speaking to a lot of people that Carolyn knew, but one person that we had been really trying to talk to was one of her very good friends. And we thought it would be amazing if she had a close female friend that she kind of confided in and spoke to. We really wanted to speak to that person to help them fill us in on who Carolyn was, but then to also tell us what their thoughts were on Carolyn's death. And we were able to find that with Lynn, who was very good friends with Carolyn and for a very long time. And they actually lived almost across the street from Chris and Carolyn when they lived in Colorado Springs. So when we finally got in touch with her, we were really excited that she was on board to be interviewed. So we went out to Colorado and met up with her. This is Lynn, one of Carolyn's close friends. Thank you for meeting with us. Yeah, of course. <laughs> all the way up to Colorado to see you. I'm uh, glad you couldn't make it. Yeah, me too. So what, can you take us all the way back to when you met Carolyn?
3: Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Carolyn was one of my very first dental patients in Colorado Springs. Okay. So I was working for a doctor over here on Garden of the Gods. And she came in and I, I remember her because she's unforgettable. And she was dressed in biker gear she had some blue jeans on she had a chain in her wallet and her biker boots and bright red lipstick and my dentist kept saying well you just moved here you don't know anybody carolyn rides motorcycles you ride motorcycles why don't you guys get together sometime she practically forced her phone number on me you know she's like here here take it take it and i was like okay and i was like should i call her well then i kept seeing her at the office over and over and you know it just happened to be she was bringing the kids in and getting their checkups and then the ortho extractions and it was just one visit after another after another and I told her my bike needed an oil change and I said do you know any garage mechanics because I really don't want to take it to the Harley shop they'll rip you off charge too much and she says oh yeah yeah my husband will change the oil in your bike I said Willie she goes oh yeah just come on over to the house we live real close and oh she goes just bring a six pack of beer you and I'll sit and drink and watch him work (laughs) and I think from that moment on we just collect and she always was inviting me over for dinner and we just you know, really had a good time and uh, went on a lot of motorcycle rides, I guess. At the time, we both had sportsters mm-hmm. and we entered them in a ride and bike show. And she took first, I took second. And I always teased her because I had a lot more work done on my bike, but oh, she wow. had a much fancier paint job on her. <laughs> so it was all about the eye appeal. We just clicked over the bikes instantly. Yeah. And she taught herself how to ride. She used to get on that bike and go around the block and come back up the block and come back. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I saw her confidence grow the longer I knew her, so. So would you
2: guys? You say you guys were pretty close friends or best friends to while well, she lived here,
3: or? i say we were very close because, you know, I was at their house almost every night for dinner. I just moved here from Wyoming. I yeah. didn't know anybody. She, she had a sense about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a matter of fact, that um, picture I have of her up on my refrigerator there, I put that up there the day Chris oh, called me and told me that we lost her. And uh, I've been praying for her because I feel like she talks to me a lot. That's
2: interesting. We've had some of the people really close to her definitely say similar mm-hmm. stuff that they, there's either sense or uh, something
3: happens where they're like, oh no, she's mm-hmm. she's with us. Anytime she met somebody, nobody, um, was a stranger to her she'd come up she'd give you a great big hug and kiss you on each side of the cheek
1: <laughs>
3: you know hi doll kiss kiss <laughs> and and i really loved that about her personality because it was infectious
2: yeah she does um from what people how they describe she does seem to be this very free spirit and very friendly and mm-hmm. approachable
3: and intelligent mm-hmm. she could talk to you about any subject
2: so how long had you guys lived across the street before they moved it was about four years were you able to keep in touch once she moved, or mm-hmm. so you guys still chatted pretty regularly, would you yeah. say? Yeah,
3: and it was so funny too because, you know, they moved to Alabama and we did go down there to okay. uh, Alabama and see them at one time. And I remember Carolyn telling me that, you know, things weren't good between her and Chris, and I'm like, Carolyn, no, you have to. Ooh. You have to work this out. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you guys, you're soulmates. You, It's Chris and Carolyn, for Pete's sakes. So just a quick update for everybody. We have started
2: season three, so those episodes will start releasing in April, and next week we will be releasing the preview for season three. It's a huge case. We've already gotten a ton of information and great interviews. So we're ready to have you guys with us into season three. So keep an eye out for that preview. That'll be coming out next week. We continue our conversation with Ray. Can you tell me about the day that you heard Carolyn passed away? Can you kind of tell me how you found out and what your reaction was, who told you, all that kind of stuff?
0: Several people from Austin contacted me, Mm -hmm. called me up said, we just got the news. Don't know if you heard. We know you're good friends with Carolyn, and we just want you to know that she died and that Chris is in the hospital. And if those people were to come forward to tell tell you, the first thing I said was, oh, he finally killed her. That's exactly what I said.
2: So then after that, because you, you actually were at the funeral and stuff, correct? No, I, I was not. Oh, you didn't even go. No. Okay, is it? Just, did you not go because you felt so uncomfortable because of Chris, or you just didn't That's, go because...
0: No, you just you hit right on it. That's okay. exactly... I didn't want to be there. I mean, no disrespect to, to Carolyn, because, you know, Sorry. I knew he'd be there, and, and I just couldn't see the falseness, which I knew was going to be there, taking place, and probably even the fake crying, and I just didn't want to be part of that.
2: Yeah, I couldn't handle it. How long... From Carolyn's passing, did you finally decide to go to the cops? And what 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 made you finally be like, I need to go talk to them?
0: In my mind, I knew what happened. I, I just couldn't live with the fact of knowing that this beautiful person is is killed for something probably silly and that, you know, it could have been a divorce or or something like that. And the other part was getting to me was this person was probably gonna think they're getting away with it and and as narcissistic as they are, they're just probably going, look how smart I am.
2: Lynn continues to say, Did you ever notice that there was any trouble? I know you weren't quite around them when Carolyn passed away. You weren't like living there in Alabama, but did you ever notice anything that was concerning or just you thought it was kind of like normal relationship kind of back and forth stuff?
3: It was a lot more frequent. Their Mm. fights were more frequent. And even that last time she went back, home from riding a motorcycle, she met him at their cabin in Tennessee. And she said, she called me, it, cause I said, make sure you call me and let me know where you're stopping and make sure you get home so I could follow your route. Yeah. And she called me and she says, um, well, the the marriage is over, we're done. Oh. And so that would have been what, I think 2017. It had to be the fall of 17 cause she didn't like riding in the summer months. Okay because it was too hot. Mm -hmm. When she said it was over and
2: then they continued on, did you just kind of interpret it as their normal kind of back and
3: forth dance or? No, because she told me, she'd text me, she's told me, she says, I don't care what he says. I'm not giving up my life. I've worked hard for it. Mm -hmm. I like the way my life is. I like my house, I like my dogs. I like the way I live. And she said, there's no reason for me to give that up just because he wants a divorce.
2: So your opinion of what she was saying was basically is he was kind of initiating the divorce idea and she was like, I want my life still. Also, just a reminder to everyone, if you can subscribe, please do. If you do subscribe, you get to see episodes early, discounted merchandise. You get to see uncut interviews and you also get to be part of the private Facebook subscriber group. And there we do personal Q&A's so you have a little more access to the crew and to asking questions and getting those answered obviously the show is always free because that's how we get in tips and solve these cases so if you have the ability to be able to help us out and subscribe that money just goes back into funding these investigations and if not we still appreciate you watching so please keep watching on the normal schedule ashes to Ashtv.com. a-s-h-e-s-t-o-a-s-h-t-v.com and back to the episode we are back with ray Did he ever mention when he was talking about killing Carolyn, anything financially about it?
0: No. But I remember one time, and this was about a year before, maybe a year and a half before her death, that he had gotten some more insurance on her, though. And that's maybe something you guys need to
2: okay and where do you where do you think you remember hearing that from i do you think know? i
0: remember talking about i think he was asking me how much insurance i have on my life and and my wife and stuff like that and then he started telling me well the reason i'm asking is because he offered me some information
2: because it sounded like he had an insurance policy through Austal. is that
0: yeah Austal, uh provides insurance for their employees but it's minimal And then you have the option of having a lot more. Uh, And there are different types of policies.
2: Did he ever talk about him and Carolyn being in any sort of debt?
0: I know that they were getting tight with money for a while when they had three homes. And then he sold the home in Daphne. And he said that that was kind of a saving grace type of thing. In my own mind, it couldn't have been too bad because they also got the home in Georgia, too. In fact, the last thing I heard was they and and again, you may, may or may not know that Carolyn and him had separated or broken up and she was living in the mountain home in Georgia. And that's what, you know, we had heard. And the next thing I know is when I get the news that she's dead. So there's, you know, it's like, I I don't have the gap between there, but it was a surprise.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I had heard she was in and out of that other home for a period of time or was going up and staying and then coming back. So,
0: you know, the, the only thing else is that when she was there, you know, he also, at the same time, is weird, he wants to get rid of her, but he's highly jealous of her, too. I mean, we're talking almost scary jealous and controlling. I remember one time, he gave me his phone to do something with, and I noticed he had a tracker on there with her. And, you know, I kind of made a, sm- a smarky remark about it, and his, he had to come back, and, and he was, you could tell that I wasn't supposed to see it. And then, uh, at work, in his office, he had access to all the security cameras. And then she worked there for a while, delivering safety equipment for a, a Magnus glove company. And so she had a little tour in all the buildings, because there's quite a few buildings there dropping gloves off. And the moment she arrived, you know, he would start putting a camera on her and he would start looking at people who are talking to her and stuff like that, and pretty weird. And I remember many times I'd stop and talk to her and I said, Well, I'm gonna get yelled at here, soon for talking to you. So, and she just go, oh, and she tell me, you just tell him the butt off or something like that. You know, it's how she is really aloof.
2: So, do you, you think she kind of knew he was checking in on her on the cameras?
0: I don't know if she did or not. I remember one time I did actually tell her. That. I said, you know, we're on camera right now. He's watching us. And I don't know if she believed me or not.
2: Do you think that the tracker app that he had on the phone, do you think that Carolyn knew about that? Or you have no idea?
0: I have no idea.
2: When your guys' relationship kind of started to fade away because you kind of started keeping a distance from him, did you feel like he was as open with you or said as much as many times, like, I'm going to kill Carolyn around you?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, so it didn't make any difference. It didn't make a difference. (sighs) Two things to answer that. One, he was an open book. Mm -hmm. And there are others that the same thing he shared with me about wanting to take Carolyn out of his life I assure you he's told others we just don't know because he's he's just that type of a person like I said that that one person who just met for the first time ever he said it well there's others and the other thing is in his mind he still thought that he could manipulate me into a friendship and that I was still one of his buddies and Mm -hmm. and so forth so he didn't have any guarding. He was not any less cautious or more cautious. Excuse me. So no, he was very open.
2: When he obviously talked about killing her, as much did he talk about divorcing her ever, or was that always kind of that extreme?
0: No, actually, I brought it up a couple of times. He never brought it up because I would ask him. I said, "Well, why? What you giving it this much thought?" I said, "Why would you take a chance of getting caught and going to jail?" He'd always say, Nope, nope. He goes, I'm not going to lose everything. I'm just, it's not worth losing everything. He goes, If I have to, it'd be murder, suicide before I do that. So.
2: Gosh, I can't believe the conversations were that in depth. It, wasn't, it doesn't even seem like in passing conversations. No,
0: no. There's, they were that much in depth. Did you ever think he would do it? Or oh, what? yeah, I knew he would. Really? Yes. I mean, uh, somebody, again, going back to what I think I said earlier, you don't spend, you don't say it that many times and not either talk yourself into it. Or you're not you're really planning on doing it. I mean, yeah. especially it's not like he's yelling at saying I'm going to kill her. He's calmly talking like you and I are talking right now. If I can find a way, I'm telling you. If I can find a way, I'm going to get rid of her. And if uh, you know, no one's going to find out, no one's going to know.
2: Do you hold any bitterness to how things went down at Austell that you were let go? I mean, there was the, was there any like excess anger or uh, frustration on your part, or was it kind of your average? I mean, I know you were terminated, so yeah, so I was not. terminated.
0: So you know, it wasn't was a happy, joyous event. But at the same time, the information that I'm sharing has nothing to do with that. It. it has to do with the fact that this individual has said that it's, it was bothersome then, and it's bothersome now, and it has nothing to do with the employment aspect of it.
3: Lynn continues to explain that the strange thing about this whole deal is, I knew. Carolyn died before Chris called me. So I was at work, and I got this a uh, Facebook Messenger, and it was a reporter, and I think he was from Alabama. Now, uh, I thought maybe Pensacola, but I'm pretty sure it's Alabama. And I saw the phone number, and I was like, hey. so I I would have just deleted it, but then I th- I was kind of tipped, you know, Carolyn's in Alabama. Yeah. And it was this reporter who left a voicemail that said, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I was like, what? And he didn't say anything else. I'm so sorry for your loss. Would you please call me? I'd like to speak with you. I was just like, what's going on? Carolyn is the only person in Alabama I know. So I got online and I Googled what was going on and there it was, woman dies in Perdido Bay. I was like, oh my gosh. And then it said, woman was identified as Carolyn Blankenfeld. And I was like, what in the world's going on? And I said, well, I, so I called the reporter back. And I said, you know, I really don't want to answer any of your questions until I talk to Chris. He goes, well, if you change your mind, I I want you to do a, a FaceTime appearance on the news tomorrow morning well, you know, the difference between Colorado time and Alabama time, and and I wouldn't have done it anyways, but he was blowing up my phone all morning at work.
2: I can't fathom one of my good friends all of a sudden pulling up an article that they were deceased. What was that that like to find out
3: that way? It was the wrong way. (laughs) It just, it gives you this terrible pit in your stomach. You know, it just makes your heart hurt. And I just couldn't believe it. I, I was, I just stared at my phone going, I cannot believe what I'm reading. And I know that they were, Carolyn liked the boat. She was excited about it. And I had always teased Chris, you buy a boat and I'm coming back. I promise, you know, I want to ride on your boat. And
2: At that point, after looking up the article and talking to the reporter, is it you who initiated the first call with Chris then?
3: No, I was just waiting for him. Because I thought, oh my gosh, you know, he's probably grief-stricken. You know, I was just trying to give him some privacy. You know, the last thing he needs is people blowing up his phone going, what's going on? And It was, I don't know, at least a week. And he called, and I was standing right there. I remember that. <laughs> and he said, well, then I've got some bad news for you. I said, Chris, I already know. He goes, you know? His tone just changed instantly, you know? I said, yeah, I know. And I said, I, a reporter called me. He goes, well, how did they find that out? He said, I honestly don't know. So the only thing I can think of is he scavenged her Facebook account up, right? or he had her cell phone. Did anybody know how her cell phone was recovered or anything? Because somebody knew Carol and I were communicating about Chris. Okay, so
2: that's what's interesting. So when the cops, there were two cell phones on the boat, but the one, it was just a phone that, it was an old phone that they played music on. So the cops never got her cell phone. So Chris, after Carolyn passed away, had access to her cell phone and never handed it over to the cops. So the police have never seen her actual cell phone.
3: Interesting, because I thought, how in the world would this reporter know who I was? So that actually is really
2: interesting if he had her phone and had gone through anything. So had you guys had like personal text conversations about the state of their marriage and yes. stuff?
3: And I think, you know, just the way to get back to what he, how he told me. And he said, um, I'm sorry, Lynn, but I'm sorry I killed your friend. And it was very matter of fact. It, and then he kind of had this, lame cry, like, I'm sorry, it was just supposed to be a fun, what do you say, a fucking fun Sunday or something like that, no. taking the boat out, and that's what it was. But then he kind of, he, he just had this, like, insincere cry about it. It was like, I'm sorry you killed your friend. And that was that. I mean, I heard him cry more over losing Tyson. And
2: that was one of the dogs, yeah. Well, what was it like to hear somebody say those words in that way, to to tell you what had happened in that way? To me, it just, I would be really taken aback by that.
3: I was taken aback by that, because I didn't expect him to say that, especially when I already knew. I knew she was already gone, and I I just, I expected him to say, I'm sorry, Carolyn's gone, or Carolyn died, or, she passed, or, you know, we had an accident. That's what I would have expected him to say.
2: I have not lost someone in that way, but I feel, I don't feel like I would, if I was trying to save their lives for hours, I don't think I would say I killed them. I think I would feel much the opposite, that I did everything I could to save them, you know, and just couldn't physically do it for whatever reason. This seems like a very strange way to relay that information.
3: And that's when I asked him what happened, and he just said she jumped in the water to cool off, and she got caught in a tide and she said, Chris, help me. And I jumped in after her and I looked up and the boat was gone. And he said, then we got swept away. I carried her for four hours is what he told me. So he said four hours. He said four hours. So he made
2: it seem like she was alive in the water with
3: him for For four four hours. hours. And And then he said a tide came in and just ripped her out of his arms. And that was the last he had seen hers,
2: Mm -hmm. how he related to you. And did he talk about what was going on for those four hours? Did he go into any detail or he just, that was kind of blanket statement?
3: That was it. And I didn't really want to press because it's kind of like when you're going through a divorce, which was real recent in my mind, you know, you get tired of talking about it. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, I just am informing you. Let's just leave it. And I just remember telling him, I said, I know you guys had your problems. I said, but Carolyn loved you very much. I said, that I do know, she did love you. And he said, well, she was having two affairs on me. He said that to you on the phone that day. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she had, because
2: you guys were close, she had talked to you at yeah. some, some yeah, level Yeah, I knew she had this. an affair. It's weird though, after somebody passing me that way, that you would then re- again remind you, as if you didn't know, mm-hmm. that there was trouble in the marriage. Did, were you surprised that, that at that phone call he reiterated that? Or, or told you something, of course, you might have already known? I thought it was irrelevant. She's gone. Right, like why? There's no need to... And I know
3: you guys had problems, but you always got back together.
2: <laughs> and that's it, some marriages. That just is some marriages.
3: And that's just some marriages, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what makes you tick. <sighs> you, that's how you get along, you know? If it's the sex that keeps you together, or the adventure, or whatever, you know, sometimes that's just the pull and whatever it takes to make it work. Mm-hmm. And not that I would live that way. I don't want anybody to but I never would judge anybody No, same here.
2: Like, I, not know. my personal preference, exactly. but I, I have friends who I've seen go through crazy things and they just seem yeah, to be whatever okay with it. Whatever works for them. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I chat longer with Ray. How confident are you about what your thoughts are on this?
0: I'm 100%. It's like I told you somewhere in our, in the interview process that when I received that phone call, it wasn't like, Oh, maybe it was him. I knew, I mean, it was just like a click in my mind. It was strong. I I even kind of gasped and, and, and remember saying to that person who was telling me without even thinking about it, I said, Oh, he finally did it. I knew it. Um, I would even say after the last, I couldn't even begin to say, times that I heard from him saying he was gonna do it. I believed him, he was gonna do it. I mean, you just don't spend that much time. You know, I have strong feelings that it wasn't emotional, or whatever, I think he just did it.
2: Lynn responds. So you had never ever even worried about Carolyn's safety through any of this? That had never even crossed your mind through all their back and forth that she might be in any danger? Or had it crossed your mind?
3: Wow, (laughs) you know how to to bring it up. (laughs) I would have to um, really reflect on our conversations Mm -hmm. and see if I could pinpoint anything. I know they did get into a couple scuffles, but you know, I don't think he ever hit her. I honestly don't know, I wasn't there. All I know is the one-sided story.
2: Did you ever think even after talking to him that anything nefarious could have happened or where are your thoughts now? Are you just like, I have no idea because I wasn't there or do you feel like there could have been after some of the stuff that you've reflected on, do you think that there could have been something more to his story than what he said? Did you ever doubt any
3: parts of it? It just seemed odd. The whole thing seemed odd. From the reporter to his statement to, and then I tried to contact him again, because he told me, you know, if you ever need anything, just call. And I did try to reach out to him. I called him on Carolyn's birthday, and I called him on her anniversary of her death. And he, he goes, who, who is this? I said, Chris, it's Lynn in Colorado. He goes, why are you calling me? I said, I just wanted to let you know I was thinking of you. He goes, well, don't call this phone anymore. That was his cell phone, his personal cell phone. He says, call my work phone. He goes, because I never have this phone on me. And that was on her
2: birthday, you think? That was on her birthday.
3: And then did you ever, after her birthday, ever
2: try to contact him again on his work line?
3: On the anniversary of her death. Okay. And it didn't go through. I just went to voicemail. Wow, and did you leave a message at that point? No, you just... I I thought you know I should just let this go. He knows what day it is. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to be reminded, and he would recognize it's a Colorado number. He could he could say hi. Did you ever put any thought into why he said don't call my personal
2: cell phone, or you just didn't even really think about it? I
3: did because I thought that was so strange. Because when he told me about her death, he said, you can call me any time.
2: And then even when you talked to him on her birthday, was it a comfortable, like normal conversation or was it more no. kind of rushed, like trying no. to get you off the phone? get me off the phone, yeah. When he originally called about Carolyn's pa- passing away, was there anything else on that phone conversation that stood out or those were kind of the main things you talked about, her passing away and then her, him reminding you that she had been unfaithful?
3: And then the reporter, Yeah. Well, how'd you know?
2: And he didn't seem to know at all why the reporter called you. Mm -mm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that Chris told you that they were in the water for four hours because the last text Chris sent is sent at 4.15 on the boat, and that was a picture of him and Carolyn. So she obviously, according to that timeline, would have still been alive. And then he comes out of the water at 7.05 at a place on Ono Island. And so what's kind of crazy about that is that in total isn't four hours. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting because the different level of stories. Have you been boating out there? Yes. Have you ever seen anyone swimming in the middle of the bay without like a sport going on? Meaning like jet skiing or parasailing?
0: Nope. Carolyn was a pretty good swimmer.
2: I hadn't seen her in the last years of her life but she always seemed strong and oh, she was strong. capable. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. She was in good shape.
2: We've been trying to clarify if she was a good swimmer.
0: Oh, she was a good swimmer.
2: Yeah. That's always what I think that's one thing that surprised me about Chris's story is he makes it sound like she jumped into the water and gave up and I can't figure how a fit spunky woman would just go overboard and lose the boat, which would be terrifying. I'm not suggesting that's not terrifying, but like wouldn't have the wherewithal to be like, I'm scared, but I can do this.
0: And I guess to me, this is my mind, Mm -hmm. is okay, you got a pontoon boat, not a small one, and you jump in the water and you're a good swimmer and you even if you get cramps or something, you can't make it back just to grab the boat.
2: And when you look at where they went in the shore actually comes out super far, meaning like you can stand pretty far out, which is I didn't realize that until we started going to these houses down on the point where she was found and where the boat was found. But I was like shocked at how shallow it was. And the police report says they were only in 10 feet of water, which don't get me wrong. You can drown in 10 feet of water. I'm not making right, that right. suggestion, people drown in pools. But I just thought it was crazy. If you're in 10 feet of water, you're not super far from shore like you would I think with all that knowledge you would be like I can and plus she's familiar with it you'd be like I can do this well,
0: why are you worrying about shore when you have a boat right there right well that too. your survival instinct if you if that was you would have been to grab that's just natural instinct in my life I've, I've dealt with people that are drowning yeah. and their natural instinct is always to reach out and use their hands to put and prop their head up on anything it doesn't matter if it's another human being so rescuers a lot of time you know they get pushed under and they have to learn how to even as a last resort you grab the person you pull them back under because yeah. once their head goes underwater they're gonna let go the boat anything she's gonna levitate back out to that or gravitate back out to that to grab it and pull it. It's just natural instinct. It's not thinking. It's just like right now, if I go real fast to your eyes, you're going to blink. And the same is with drowning. You don't think about some things. It's just natural. I find it hard to believe.
2: Did Chris ever tell you what he did before he came to work for Austin?
0: He worked for the Coast Guard as a rescue person.
2: Oh, interesting. Did he ever say like what division of the Coast Guard he was in or?
0: No, but he used to show us pictures of these rescue boats and and some of them were like in Washington and they were flying through the air. In, in storms and stuff and he would tell us about how he had to be seat belted in these special seat belts that are down there to hold them up how scary it was to be on the the rescue boats
2: was that pretty impressive to hear that or oh yes did you believe him
0: yes and i actually believed them until i got new information most of the stories he told he was going to be the center of it is going to be like Spider-Man or Superman or, or something Always like that. Always the hero. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Hero. Did he ever show you any pictures of him in the rescue planes or him on the rescue boats? Or no. it was just pictures, pictures of things of he yes. had done? Yes, huh. So it was just like a picture from the internet of that Yes, thing. actually it was. <laughs> yeah. After, I call Bree. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, good. I uh, just wanted to call and touch base because I know you said that you had gotten in some information on what Chris actually did in the Coast Guard. Can you let me know what your findings are there?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. So researching all this is really difficult. I actually had to contact the Atlantic Strike Force team. Um, and I basically kind of got a list of people that were actively in the um, Atlantic Strike Force team at the time, like at the same time as him. There's probably about 20 people. I heard back from at least four that were able to help me um i basically said hello so-and-so i'm looking for some answers my name is brianna blankenfeld my father's name is christopher blankenfeld i believe he was stationed with you in fort dix Um, around 1993 i was seeing if you might remember him thank you in advance one person said i would love to help you answer your questions if i can i was only on the team for a short time before i was transferred to the golf team your dad's name is familiar but i am stuck on remembering names was he a storekeeper I said, yes, he was. Unfortunately, he is under investigation for an accident that happened with my mother. He claims to have been on the Atlantic Strike Force rescue team, but it was further found out that he was only a storekeeper. I'm trying to figure out if he was a storekeeper for the Atlantic Strike Force team specifically, or if it was just on the base in general. Thank you for getting back to me. He said, yes, uh, he was a storekeeper second class on the Atlantic Strike Force team and responded to hazardous material releases and oil spill responses throughout the united states and just fyi there's no such thing as only when you're a member of the coast guard and i said thank you for clarifying i sincerely appreciate you and then uh the other people do you remember him uh as a storekeeper uh they didn't say that he went out with them on rescue missions or anything they just said he basically stayed back at the base and
2: Okay, so let me just get this straight. So kind of what you're saying is it sounds like for sure he was stationed at Fort Dix with the Atlantic Strike Force, but it sounds like he was just doing shopkeeping, which is basically what you think like buying materials like a purchaser for them
1: or? Uh, Yes, that's what it sounds like. One person said that the the Coast Guard had a small unit at Fort Dix, and they were like a 35-person unit. So all of them had their own duties while on the base, and his duty was the storekeeper. So he was the only storekeeper, maybe one of two there at the time, and he only performed uh, materials handling, order keeping, and uh, shit ton of paperwork. Filing duties and stuff like that.
2: Okay, so it doesn't sound like he was going out on aggressive search and rescue missions. Not that that doesn't mean they wouldn't teach you how to do rescues, especially in the beginning during the more of the boot camp phase of being in the Coast Guard, but it does sound like he kind of was overstating what he was doing there.
1: Oh, correct. Yes.
2: Okay, so he just kind of overstated how much he did and what that meant exactly. Uh, correct. Okay. So, all right. Well, that's so. That's good to know. So, I mean, I just think it's really crazy that you'd have even a, a shopkeep at the Atlantic Strike Force and not—they don't have some knowledge of rescue and safety to the point where you would have an accident in the water to the likes of which he did. Correct. Yeah, that's really concerning. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, no, nice job. We'll, uh, we'll post the findings minus obviously the people's names just because they kind of seem like they didn't want to be involved. So we'll just kind of post what they said about it so that people understand what he was in the Coast Guard and what that meant. I also love how the guy corrected you. I also want to make a point to say we think being in the Coast Guard is amazing, regardless of what job you do. So oh, when, yeah, when, when only was said, we were just trying to figure out what the position was, not downgrading that. We think even a shopkeep in the Coast Guard is impressive because being in the Coast Guard is impressive at all, if you're willing to do that. So I just want to make it really clear that we don't have any negative feelings about people in the Coast Guard at any position. We think that they're all, you know, amazing. And the fact that they do those jobs is really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I know I don't think I'd ever be that brave. So I think anyone who does it, that's why I'm surprised he had felt like he had to overstate it because it was already amazing that he was in the Coast Guard, no matter what he
3: was doing. We then continue our conversation with Lynn. Well, I know at one point something transpired in their marriage because she had lost a bunch of weight. So from the the previous time I saw her to the you know, the very last time I saw her. She had probably lost 40 pounds. And that's
2: what, when I see pictures of right before whatever happened on the boat happened, I mean, she seems very strong. I mean, if you see, look at her arms, you can see definition in her arms. Oh my
3: gosh, she had (sighs) upper body strength because she had that landscaping business. She was built like a man. I mean, her biceps were to be envied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and
2: that's what I noticed in the photos because I was like, this isn't a this isn't a weak woman. Because one of the stories he told was she jumped in the water and basically gave up. And I'm like, I Carolyn would j- I don't know her that well, but I was like, she would not have given up.
3: One of the things that I can't get out of my head is Chris is retired Coast Guard. He knows the water. I can't see him putting either one of them in danger. ashes to ash is created
2: by ash patino associate producer kate giordano co-host production manager Bree, interviewees Lynn and Ray, technical swimmer Victoria Gockler, cinematography Cole Ellers, crew member Montania Samuels, music score David Patino. To subscribe please go to ashes to ash tv.com dot com. If you know of any illegal activity involving this case, please reach out to your local law enforcement. If you would like to give a tip or information, please email me at ashland57 at gmail.com ashland 5 at gmail.com to follow us on facebook please go to ashes to ash true crime on youtube instagram or twitter at ashes to ash tv